0: Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I'm going to get started, but before I do, I'm going to give an invite, and I'm going to give a a disclaimer, okay? Uh, Number one, if you do not have a church home, and you are looking for a church home that believes in the Bible, and preaches the Bible, and believes that the Bible is the Word of God, and that the only rule for our life and success, our life and godliness, is the Word of God— you need to join us at Agape Fellowship Church. If you don't have if you do have a church home and your church doesn't meet on Sunday night or Wednesday night, then you need to come and join us on Sunday night and Wednesday night and set under biblical preaching. Amen. And I'm not saying that just because I'm the pastor. I'm saying that because even the associate pastor, Kyle, preaches scripture. We're founded on scripture, not what people think about scripture, not what brother, sister, so-and-so say about scripture, but what does scripture really say, which leads us into tonight. So I'm giving everyone on Facebook a disclaimer. Before I give you this disclaimer, I'm still inviting you to come and join us. But if you think this church is going to be one of those churches where you're going to be really comfortable and you're going to come in here and you're just going to hear everything that feels good and sounds good and looks good, then you're at the wrong church because we're going to preach the Bible. And the Bible often makes us uncomfortable. The Bible often makes a case against what we would believe God would do or God wouldn't do. Amen. The Bible is our rule for faith and what we believe about God about Christ about salvation So when you sit here in this church, you're going to hear what the Bible says about all these things. Amen So tonight's disclaimer is this I titled tonight is that what it means and this like many of our Wednesday night and Sunday night sermons come from discussions that may have been had this week or previous weeks with other people and tonight I titled tonight this because there are a couple scriptures that we're going to tackle tonight that are often misquoted often misused often taken out of context because People have a presupposition when they're reading them, okay? Modern Christianity has turned many scriptures upside down. They make them about us when they're not about us, or they'll make them about God, uh, or they'll make them about us instead of God, amen? And those that do this, most of the time are not even aware that they're doing it because they have not actually learned how to read the Bible in context. Context in reading scripture is vitally important. You cannot just take a Bible verse such as the two that we're going to talk about tonight. You cannot just take those Bible verses by themselves and believe what you want about those Bible verses it is not what does this mean to you it is what does this mean the 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 the, the question that the jesus movement always uh, uh, asked during the the 60s and 70s is what does the bible mean to you i don't care what it means to you okay the bible preaches a message there's an intended meaning within scripture I don't care what you think it is. I care what God says it is. And I want the intended meaning of Scripture. So when you hear us say, this is what the Bible says, you're not getting our broken down uh, presuppositional version of what the Bible's saying. You're getting the Bible read in context. And it says exactly what it says. And it means exactly what it means. Now this people go people say, well all the time they go, well, I'm quoting exactly what it says. Yes, but you're not meaning what it says. you're not meaning the same thing this scripture is meaning when you say this scripture. When you do that, you are misusing scripture. you are twisting scripture. you are moving away from sound doctrine to your own doctrine and you are, In all intents and purposes, I want to say this very nicely. Paul calls you someone who preaches the doctrines of the devil. When you move away from the intended meaning of scripture, Paul calls that a doctrine of devils. We are called to hold fast and preserve the gospel message. The gospel is not health, wealth, and prosperity. The gospel is God sending His only Son to die an atoning sacrificial death on my behalf, on your behalf. He died in our place. His substitutionary atoning death. He died for all those who would believe. He was buried. He rose again from the dead to be so that we would be justified before the Father. He ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he is coming again. This is basically the Apostles' Creed being spoken out. That is the, that is the fundamental basics of, Of the gospel. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 1. If I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you. Let him be cursed. Amen. So this is a vitally important subject of reading scripture in context. Context matters. You cannot just pluck a verse out. And superimpose a meaning to it. So this verse, the the first verse that I'm going to talk about tonight, we're going to find in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Now, this verse, and I'm going to give you the modern interpretation of this verse that is not the biblical interpretation of this verse. Now, we're going to read this verse all by itself. I'm going to give you the modern interpretation of this verse. And then we're going to read this verse in context, starting with just a few verses out, going all the way back to the beginning of this chapter. And you're going to see why the modern interpretation is absolutely erroneous and wrong. Okay? And it's very easy to see it as soon as you read it in context. Okay, so we're going to read Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now, chances are when you hear this verse quoted by modern Christians, they only quote the first half of this verse. They'll tell you life and death are in the power of the tongue. And somehow, to them, this is what it means. To them, it means and is saying that our tongues have the power to create life and death. They have an innate spiritual ability to bring about life and death into situations. I was literally told to my face today that those Things that were spoken ill of a certain person's family member came to pass because life and death are in the power of the tongue. This teaching says that if you say bad things or you speak bad things, then they're going to happen to people and it's all your fault because you spoke death into the situation. They also believe that to bring life and death to the situation, it is a supernatural ability that they have because they're made in the image of God that they can create just like God creates things. I am sorry, but you aren't God. You can't speak anything into existence like God can. You never could. Adam never could. No person in all of the Bible ever spoke anything into existence. Not one time can you show me in the scriptures where any man spoke anything into existence. Ever. This is not a biblical doctrine. This is a lie man was created in the image of god that means to most biblical historians every credible biblical historian knows that that means that man was granted a mind a will and emotion faculties to choose the ability to be a free moral thinking agent that's what the image of god in us did it did not give us supernatural abilities to speak things into existence. It didn't give us supernatural abilities to walk in the air, or to, uh, to to float above the, the clouds. It, we didn't get wings. We couldn't swim underwater without holding our breath. We can't breathe underwater like fish do that this Idea that because we're made in the image of God then suddenly we can do all the supernatural things that God does is erroneous because the fundamental teaching of scripture is that God is unique. That there's no one else like God. And to pretend that you can speak things into existence is to put yourself on the very level of God himself. God can speak things into existence, and so can I. You're a liar and a false teacher, and you're preaching a doctrine of devils. This is a real deal. I'm not here to patty cake people. I'm not here to placate people. I'm here to tell you that the Bible does not teach that anywhere. Right. And so and that is the teaching that all that actually comes out of is that you are a little God. You're created in God's image and you are God. Yes. I think it was oh sorry. No, you're fine. It is coming from the teaching that you are a little God, and that teaching is a lie. We will never be God. We cannot be God. We are created. Finite beings that will never, ever, ever, ever be able to get to Godhood. God is unique all by himself alone in his being. He is the only one like himself. Period. Just because God created the earth doesn't make it part of God. Doesn't mean it's God. And just because we are made in the image of God does not make us God. As a matter of fact, if we were God, we could not have failed. If we were God, we could not have sinned our way into total depravity. We would not have needed a Savior had we just been able to be God all by ourselves because we were made in His image. The image of God in man does not innately create within man supernatural abilities to do anything. God created man in his image and he gave him a job. Tend this garden, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That's all that God made man physically to do outside of glorifying God in everything that man should do. That's man's job, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the chief end of human existence. We are not here so we can practice becoming God. We can never be God, ever. We will be with God, but we will not be God. So this teaching... Which comes out of this one verse that says death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they never finish the verse, by the way. The end of the verse says, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. In other words, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And however you decide to use your tongue, it's going to give you fruit either for good or for bad. That's the plain meaning of this text. I'll give you the very, very, very plain meaning of this text. Okay? The Reformation Heritage Study Bible on this verse says that one can do the greatest harm or the greatest good by what he says. This is the plain and most natural reading of this text. And I can show you just by going two verses ahead of this, okay? If you would, if you would, just go to verse 19. We're going to read this verse in a little bit of context because, as you know, the Proverbs don't always follow each other, right? They'll say a few things that line up with each other and then they'll move to a different subject because a proverb is just a wise saying, Right? So these are biblically wise sayings or biblically wise truths. And I found the few parts that are linked together throughout this chapter. And we start at verse 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Now watch this. Verse 20, a man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now, right here, we're seeing context, context of a contentious brother, one who's uh, being uh, been wronged and offended, brother. And then it moves on to a man's belly is going to be filled by the fruit of his lips. And with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. The idea here is a man who speaks goodly, kind words will be reaping the fruit of what he is sowing, which Fits the biblical principle that Jesus taught whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap amen and in that case he was not talking about money when he said that he was talking about actions about doing good to those who hate us doing good to those who despise us and and despitefully uh, use us amen and persecute us that's the context of that statement the reality that this verse is telling us to use our words wisely, because they can do great harm or great good depending on how they are used. And if you want some more context, we're gonna go get it. Okay, I'm gonna we're gonna go to verse go to verse four of this same chapter. You don't even have to move chapters. We're staying right in. Uh, Proverbs chapter 18 verse 4 the words of a man's mouth are a deep waters or are as deep waters and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook Ooh. we know that a man's mouth are deep waters because in James, He says the tongue is an unruly member, full of evil, full of deceit. No man can tame it, right? The understanding of this proverb is that the, the words of a man's mouth are a deep well, okay? But they should be used in wisdom and not in foolishness. Well, how do I know that he's talking about foolishness and and using your lips wisely? Hmm. Go to verse 6. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. So now we have these wellspring of words attached to foolish men. Who enter contentions or strivings or arguments, right? Read with me if you will, verse seven. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Is this is it becoming more clear by the moment that verse 21 is not saying what the the new Christian Uh, theorists say it means it doesn't mean that you have supernatural power in your mouth to create like God does that's not what this verse is teaching we can keep reading because I got more verse 8 the words of a talebearer are as wounds and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly wow Wow. Okay. None of this is backing up the claim that these words are saying or that that verse 21 is saying that our tongue can create life and death. Literally, it's making a statement that foolishness with your words can cause destruction and that wisdom with your words can cause life or speak life into a situation or bring good a situation. Notice that this chapter is one of the chapters that have a very famous verse in it. Verse 12, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty and before honor is humility. That's the reverse of another verse. Remember? Remember? Remember, the, there's another verse that's tied to this. Let me see if I can find the... Uh, let's see if they mention the verse that it's actually tied to. Let's see. Uh, Kyle, turn to Proverbs 15.33. Mike, turn to Proverbs 16.18. When you get there, Kyle, go ahead and read first. 15.33. 15.33. Wow, the fear of the what? Let's let's let me go ahead and turn there because it'd probably be good that I do that. 1533, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. Matt, uh, Mike, 1618, right? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Verse twelve in chapter eighteen says, "Before destruction the heart, the before destruction the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility." They're saying exactly the same things. These proverbs, they're saying, "Pride goes before a fall, and a haughty spirit before destruction." Amen. But the humble, but with the humble, they are honored. Amen. Verse 13 says this. He that answereth a matter before he hears it is a folly and a shame unto him. Wow. In other words, if I think I know what is being talked about before I actually study and know what I'm talking about, I'm a fool. And I'm speaking as a fool. Verse 17, he that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. Now, I want to read this to you from the ESV because I think you can get a little bit more clarity just for this moment. Okay, chapter 18, verse 17, right? The one who states his case first seems right until others come and examine him. It's a pretty good good analogy, right? It's a pretty good understanding of that. Now, I want to read one more. Well, we already read 19, didn't we? Okay, I won't read any more. Right now, we have, let me count, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten verses in this chapter, nine of which give us context for verse 21. And every one of them are talking about a man being wise with his words and not being foolish. Not bringing about destruction upon himself because he's too foolish and quick to talk. Wants to bring an answer about something before he's actually examined the thing. Amen. Talking about a man being humble with his words and knowing a thing before he speaks on a thing. Amen. This is life and death being in the power of the tongue. And they that eat its fruit, and, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. The reality of this proverb is it has absolutely nothing to do with supernatural ability to speak things into existence. Nothing whatsoever. Okay. Just one more kind of a new chapter example. And then chapter four. Okay. And Right. That's right. That's right. So, so it's talking about if, you know we know what our words can do. If you're if you say something negative to somebody, it's not going to encourage them. It's not going to build them up. It's not going to show the love and the grace that we as Christians should show to each other. Right. And, and right. So Right and nothing to do at all. right and the ESV Study Bible on chapter Proverbs eighteen twenty one says that the words that words may be used to bring satisfaction healing and restoration or to destroy others. Now the healing that they're talking about is this: if your brother has wronged you, you go to him and you. Reconcile with him you speak words of reconciliation and that heals the relationship that heals the heart someone who has lost a loved one you bring a word to them that heals their heart that helps them and encourages them. Amen. It doesn't create anything. Words are used every day for either good or bad. Amen most words that are going out on Christian airwaves are bad because <laughs> they're not reading their Bible they're doing exactly what the person I was talking to was doing and taking this one verse and and taking it all the way out of this uh, chapter and making it mean what they want it to mean rather than what it actually means rather than what the Bible's actually teaching about this passage now I want to read uh The ESB study Bible on the fruit of the tongue. On the fruit of the tongue, the ESD study Bible gives us this. Uh, let me put a did I put a bookmark there? Okay, good. The ESD study Bible gives us a couple chapters to go back and read, or a couple verses to go back and read in Proverbs. So if you will turn with me to Proverbs 12, verse 13. Proverbs 12, verse 13. Now watch this. The wicked is snared by the transgressions of his lips. But the just shall come out of trouble. A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. And the recompense of a man's hands shall be rendered unto him. Now this is exactly what this chapter we just read is talking about, isn't it? About a, a, a wicked man is snared by the transgressions of his lips. Why? Because his lips are obviously lying and backbiting and, and, and talking ill of one another. He's speaking slander. Amen? What what are the commandments against this? You shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Amen? And it goes into a whole list of people you're not supposed to bear false witness against. Why? Because it is a sin of your mouth. Amen? It's a transgression with your lips. Has nothing to do with supernatural creative power. Amen? Amen? It has everything to do with you being wise with your lips and prudent with your mouth. A man shall be satisfied by good, with good by the fruit of his mouth. A man that's not wicked. That's the contrast that's being made there. Verse 14, or 13 is a wicked man. And the next one is a righteous man. A, a man shall be satisfied with With good by the fruit of his mouth. And the recompense of a man's hand. Shall be rendered unto him. Amen. Now next we have. uh, Proverbs chapter 13. Verse 2 and 3. A man shall eat good. By the fruit of his mouth. But the soul of the transgressor. Shall eat violence. And he. He. That keepeth his mouth, keepeth his life. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Wow. Now, he that guards his lips will keep his life. Why? Because generally, the people that are very guarded in how they speak and who they speak to and how they build people up or talk bad about people, those people that are guarded against that, they have many opportunities for a good life. But those who are quick to say slanderous things and evil words, they will find destruction because people don't like liars, slanderers, Backbiters, gossips, amen? All of these things are what's in view here. Nothing about supernatural abilities. Okay, I have a, a note that I want to read on Proverbs chapter 18 from the ESV Study Bible, and it's a very good note. And it's about chapter 18 verse 5 through 8 it says these verses all concern the misuse of words and the consequences thereof verse 6 and 7 obviously parallel each other of itself verse 5 is a simple condemnation of injustice in the courts but in the context and especially against verse 8 The implication is that the legal system will malfunction in a setting dominated by innuendo, gossip, and lying. Verse 8 explains why gossip is so deadly. People love to hear it and to share it. This is absolutely what's in view here. Amen? This is by any means... There's no way that you can misconstrue this into saying that this is teaching that we have life and death in our tongue physically that we can create or produce life as God produces life by speaking it into existence. That is not what this is saying by any stretch of anyone's imagination. Now, finally, I may not even get to my second question. Uh, portion of this where we're talking about uh, uh, Isaiah 53 verse 5 but I'm going to go to James chapter 3 because in the New Testament you will not find a more clear depiction of how we are to control our tongue. Amen. Now I want to read this And it may take a moment because I might read the whole thing. Okay. He says, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle his whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. But also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. And the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members. That it defileth the whole body. And setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of bird and of serpent. And of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed by mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. I'm gonna stop right here. Okay? To try to misconstrue Proverbs 1821 to say that we have death and life in the power of our tongue. This Just the short part that we have read right here tells me that our tongue is no better than our hearts. That our hearts are evil, continuously wicked. And every thought and intention of our heart apart from Christ is evil. Therefore, we cannot trust our heart. We must trust Christ. I will say this. If our tongue is a world of iniquity set on fire by hell, who in the world could trust that they would have life in their tongue at all? All that we could hope to have in our tongue would be destruction if there was supernatural ability attached to it, as some try to say in Proverbs 18.21. But we can clearly see that the tongue in James's opinion, who is the brother of Christ and an apostle, you know, one of the early church fathers. He wasn't an apostle because he didn't believe in Christ yet. James saw the resurrected Christ, his resurrected brother. James was an elder in the church, Jerusalem. And he's telling you, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. And therewith we curse men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. That a fountain send forth the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive be- uh, berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of the good conversation his works with meekness and of wisdom but if you have bitter bitter envying strife in your heart not glory not and lie not against the truth this wisdom descendeth not from above but is earthly sensual and devilish for where for where envying and strife is there is confusion in every evil work But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, I'm telling you unequivocally, he's telling you that the tongue is something that can get you into all kinds of evil and trouble. That we're to guard our tongue, that we're to watch against our tongue, that we are. And it's not about you being able to create by some supernatural ability because the tongue is full of bitterness and poison, set on fire of hell. Amen. Amen. And it leads us right into James 4. Do you remember what James 1 and 4 says? If not, I'm going to read it anyway. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even from your own lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss and that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend to the world is the enemy of God. Wow. Wow. And then he tells us in verse 7, Submit yourself therefore to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. These chapters were put in there by us. This was one whole letter. And the context of chapter 3 bears very much on the context of chapter 4, where he's talking about us submitting ourselves to God and not praying outside of God's will. Amen? He's saying you ask, but you're asking amiss because you're asking to squander these things on your own lusts. Why? Because your tongue is a world of evil set on fire from hell, full of poison. That's where envy and strife is coming from. Because you lust and want to have, you fight among yourself. You see... This life and death that's in the power of the tongue is not some supernatural imbued gift that we can create life and death. It's a physical reality that we are fallen sinful men who have tongues that are set on fire from hell. And lusts and desires that reside within us that will control our tongue and make us want to go and say and do things that are not godly, that are not lifting Christ up, that are not uh, seeking God's will, but to fulfill our own lusts and our own desires. James is warning us to guard our tongue because of this. Amen? And Proverbs is telling you to guard your tongue for the same reason. The Bible doesn't speak one way about a subject one place and another way another place. There is consistency in the word of God. This is not speaking about an innate gift that we have to speak things into existence. That is not what it's saying. The reality of these verses tell us unequivocally that this is not what chapter 18 verse 21 of proverbs means which is exactly why i titled tonight is that what it means and the answer is no amen no 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 it does not mean that i don't care how many special visions people have i don't care about personal revelations that they might have This verse does not mean you create life and death. You have any innate power to speak things into existence that is not the historic biblical understanding of this verse. And like I told another person, that view of this verse only started in the last 50 to 60 years. Because before that, nobody viewed that verse as saying that you physically spiritually speak things into existence that was unheard of the church fathers don't believe that the disciples obviously did not believe that if life and death was in the power of the tongue, like modern Christian church say, that you can just speak things into existence and you can just command things to happen, then not one of the apostles would have went to the cross. None of them would have been beheaded. None of them would have been subject to Rome. None of them would have been died a martyr for Christ because they could have just talked their way right out of it. But we don't see that in church history. We don't see that in the Bible. We don't see it anywhere. Amen. I wanted to get through at least this one tonight. Okay. Wednesday night, I'm going to tackle Isaiah 53, verse 5. I'm going to talk about that verse and about the context of Isaiah 53 and how people have misused that verse and by his stripes. We are healed. That verse does not mean what most people, when they say it, mean. It has been misused, misappropriated, misunderstood. And I'm going to say this really quick because if reading this tonight about... Hold on a second. If reading this tonight... About our tongue tells us anything. Even James. Says that our tongues are set on fire from hell. And they are devilish. Amen. That's exactly the word used in my Bible. Amen. In your Bible and in your Bible. And any other King James Bible. It says devilish. Amen. Set on fire of hell. Because the tongue is full of evil. And for us to trust that we could speak anything (laughs) to life with such a member is putting more upon human beings than scripture does. God is the only being that can create with his words. He's the only being that can create anyway. Even when we Copulate, when we procreate, when we know each other as husband and wife, God is the one that causes that child to be born. Period. God is the author of life. The only author of life. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we're able to come to your word with fresh eyes, fresh hearts, with Hearts that are ready to learn and to understand and to obey your word. Lord, we know that this verse, though it doesn't mean what some mean, it does not mean that you don't want to heal us and that you don't want to hear us and that our words don't matter because our words very much matter. And you want our words to glorify Christ. You want our words to be edifying and to build others up you want our words God to to even when they're correcting God they are to be correcting in love and in patience and in gentleness so God forgive us where we fail to do these things forgive us where we fail to understand forgive us where we fail to correct and to 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 train in gentleness and in love Lord forgive us for not hearing And believing your word rightly. Forgive us for the times that we get it wrong. Where we miss the mark. And help us. Cover us with your grace. Let the blood of Jesus Christ wash away our sins. Cleanse our consciences. That we might do the works that Christ has called us to do. And live our lives for him. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen.